Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Kingdom Order Principles. I am your host, Brother Malcolm, and I'm joined, as always, with Sister Deborah B. and Elder Nkenji. How are you two doing today? Doing well, thank you. Glad to be here. Likewise. It's always good to not be uh, at work. <laughs> I, this, I, can, I can hear you on that one. This is the best work. <laughs> oh, yeah. Amen. Amen. That's good stuff. So in our previous broadcast, we have been talking about church, biblical church government. And uh, where we left off as left off at is um, focusing on this slide that why has the church become less effective? And as you can see, there are many points that we're going to work our way through. And we left off on the de-emphasis of spirit baptism. And so if you want a fuller understanding uh, of that point, please go visit the previous broadcast. But just real quick, Elder and Kenji, can you give us a quick synopsis of what that what that point means? Absolutely. A- as you said, we we covered it fairly well in our last uh, our last broadcast. But I'll, I will say this, um, and I'm not sure that I said this in our last broadcast. So this might be an addition, as it were. But one has to have power. If one has an enemy, if you have an effective enemy and you are powerless, you will not succeed in anything that you try to do for any appreciable length of time. And the scripture makes clear that we have an enemy, the devil, Satan, list your own names. Uh, And the scripture tells us it's not just this one um, supernatural anti-Christ being he is the head of a uh a kingdom of demons and so um they hate the most high and they hate who the most high loves and so you know whether you're trying to be an effective believer and witness for the most high or just you believe in him and and want to follow him and would rather not have any conflict you still have an enemy and, and you're hated. And so what has happened over the years with respect to the ecclesia or the called out ones, there has been a de-emphasis of the baptism of the spirit. And Christ himself told the disciples, uh, I believe you'll find this in Acts chapter one. He told them, do not go anywhere doing anything until you have waited for the promise of the father from on high. And after, after you receive the spirit, you will have power and you will be witnesses to me in Judea, in, in, in Samaria and, and all over the world. I, you know, kind of quoted Acts chapter one, verse eight there and, and maybe beyond. But the deal is in order for the church to be effective it's not about our uh, organizational skills. It's not about um, our supposed wisdom with respect to how to present the, the gospel. What is absolutely required is power from God, one, to fend off the attacks of the enemy, and two, to effectively witness and give witness uh, to who Christ is who the most high is. No, that's, that's good. I, I think even, um, 
with the spirit, the spirit baptism. And I know, I think in the, the previous episode, you emphasized that, that there's spirit baptisms, but we can discuss it at a different, different time, but just even the, the importance of recognizing and acknowledging an enemy, mm-hmm. I think is so crucial and, and, and so important um, because I think sometimes within the body or just in Christendom in general, people have very different aspects or opinions of the enemy and his influence in the world that we live in. Um, some people, even though this is true, some people are like, well, the enemy is defeated. That's it. Like, so it's kind of like, there's no more engagement with an enemy that is kind of like, Oh, that's done. We yeah. don't, we don't have to worry about that. And then <laughs> some, some people, kind of give the enemy too much power they focus way Mm. too much on the enemy right and there are other people who just don't even know how at all to navigate navigate with um the spirit realm and specifically when it comes to darkness or weakness and things like that and it it's kind of it can be confusing it can be frustrating and it can be challenging to navigate the space one if you don't know who your enemy is you don't know as the scripture says, you know, we need to be aware of his devices. Sure. Um, but along with that, not having power to fight at all. And if you don't see or believe that there is an actual enemy, then what reason do you need power at all? Right. Um, especially if you think that when it comes to evangelism or ministry or things like that, the only thing you do need is good technique. You need mm. good tools like social media or YouTube and things like that. It kind of creates the space and the position for you to not need power at all. Like all we have to do is more or less use these, use this technology and technology can be a variety of things. It doesn't just have to be, you know, uh, a hammer or whatever. Like it's anything that helps to make the work easy, you know, easier and I, I, th- I think that's just very crazy that we are trying to do this. If we're believing that we're trying to do the supernatural work, live the supernatural lifestyle and only going to depend on, you know, a stick and a rock to, <laughs> to, to like make some moves. If that's our perspective, if that's what we are limiting our spiritual existence to what we can only physically do in the natural, what we can think of in the natural that really will make the church less effective. That's you, you've described it very well. Um, you you lose before the opening whistle with with that kind of idea. You said something a minute ago that I want to give a little clarity to. I know you know, but just in case everyone caught that and it you know caused one eyebrow to raise, Brother Malcolm talked about baptisms. There is this scripture, um, Hebrews chapter six, verses one through three, specifically one and two, but I'll say one through three, where it talks about the elements of, uh, you know, elementary doctrine, as it were. And in that, in that discourse, the scripture talks about uh, baptisms, plural. And for some that might immediately, if one has not done uh, some some global reading of the scripture, that might cause some folk some some problems because 
I know um, the scripture that says there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism is very well known. In fact, uh, Aretha Franklin uh, had an album called One Lord, One Faith, One One Baptism. So even those people who haven't read the scripture uh, very broadly, you know, know that verse. And so to hear the term or the word uh, with an S added to it um, could could uh, cause some problems. Let me quickly uh, say something about that. Baptism, we've talked about this before, means to be fully immersed, Okay. And so inevitably, to be fully immersed, that's that's a singular baptism. However, there are at least four operations of baptism that equate to us being fully immersed. Um, one is the baptism of fire. People hear that and they think about speaking in other tongues and all of that, you know, especially because when the the uh, disciples received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, whichever you prefer. Acts chapter two, the scripture talks about cloven tongues of fire resting upon each of them. So people make a ready association with the baptism of fire and spirit baptism. I don't think that's entirely wrong, but really when the scripture is talking about the baptism of fire, it means to be immersed in suffering. And yes, the most high immerses us in suffering because there are some lessons we won't learn without pain. And I can hear my gone grandmother saying amen. <laughs> and I say that because I have vivid memory of her telling me to go to a tree and find a branch suitable for my suffering and to not return with one uh, that is not suitable to the task. Uh, we'll talk about that with, with more detail some other time, I'm sure. But there's the there's a baptism of fire. There's a baptism in water. Most people are very familiar with that. And then there is the baptism of the Spirit. And that's when that's uh, directly related to Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 19. And I'm sure over time, we'll talk about all of that. But there's also another baptism, the baptism by the Spirit. And that's the spirit of the living God um, immersing you amongst believers that you really should be immersed with to help them in their functioning and maturity and for them to help you with your functioning and maturity. So it's, you know, we really shouldn't just be picking churches based on, you know, the, the, the music ministry. But that's a that's another story for another time. But. When we're talking about the de-emphasis de of spirit baptism, we're talking about, um, as both uh, Brother Malcolm and I said, the, the baptism of the spirit, which immerses you in power. No, thank you for clearing that up, uh, Elder and Kenji. Um, definitely don't want to create confusion or anything like that. So thank you for clearing that up and uh, giving a little bit more explanation to that. All right. So we are now going <laughs> to try to make our way down this list. <laughs> and so the next point that we see here is forsaking the church's foundational elements. And here you're referencing Ephesians 2, verse 20. Um, if you want, I can read that real quick and then you can break it down. If if you would, uh, please do, Brother Malcolm, but also include verse 19. It, it flows better that way. 
Okay. Okay. Ephesians chapter two, verses 19 and 20. This is the King James. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Amen. Amen. We're going to take a, a little time with this. <laughs> um, I would I would think that all or, or most believers don't have an issue with the fact stated here that the apostles and prophets are part of the foundation of the church. Of course, Jesus Christ, Yehoshua HaMashiach, is the chief cornerstone. He's the stone that the builders rejected, okay? Now, we need to understand that this foundation doesn't just include dead men. Now, with Christ, we know that he is no longer dead. Um, the scripture tells us that um, it was impossible for death to hold him. Him being flawless, death is a response to sin. This man was sinless. The, the Most High subjected him to death because he took on the sins of the whole world. But because none of those sins were his directly, death could not hold him. And so he rose from the dead and lives forevermore and gives us hope. Amen? <laughs> All right. So I think most people would believe that the apostles and prophets in the foundation are dead men. It's Elijah, it's Moses, it's uh, Matthew, it's, it's, it's Paul. And I will tell you that you're correct in including them, them in the foundation. However, the scripture makes it clear that the the need for apostles and prophets living is required for the church to mature. Um, if, if you would, uh, Brother Malcolm, if you would go to Ephesians 4, uh, and I believe it's around verse 11, I'm pretty sure. If you would read 11 through, I don't know, 14, maybe all the way to 16, you'll okay. know where to stop. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, Ephesians chapter four, verse starting at verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking in the truth and love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Amen. I think one hearing or reading along from verses 11 through 16, you can see how the apostles and prophets are part of the, the foundation of the church. Now, 
What I want you to focus on in that discourse is, uh, let's see, verse 13. Um, and I don't know about you guys, the listeners or watchers, um, Brother Malcolm has a very great voice. So I, he's he has now taken on the responsibility of doing all the reading for all of the shows going forward. But I, I, I may have to read something for, you know, to bring something out later. But I, I, I want you um, to understand that in verse 13, there's a very, very important part in this discourse. It, and I'm, I'm reading from the NKJV, so it sounds slightly different than what Brother Malcolm just read. But it, it reads, till we all come, till, I'm going to say that word again, till we might use a similar word until okay till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of god to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of christ my goodness that's very clear that's very plain but what we need to see is that a time component is added to this discourse meaning that apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, all of them are needed until we come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You cannot mistake what's being said there. You may disagree with it based on what you've been taught previously, but we need to see what the scripture is teaching. The scripture puts in this time component that says that all of these ministries are needed for the church to mature. And the problem is, because there's been this de-emphasis of the baptism of the Spirit, there's also been a de-emphasis, particularly of apostles and prophets. You know, because you can, you can, you know, you can see intellectually how one can be an evangelist without the the power of the spirit. Now, the scriptures doesn't show it that way. When you look in the scriptures and you see the example of Philip the evangelist, what made him uh, stand out was the absolute miraculous power that he put on display. But now we think of evangelism as, you know, being overt being excited, being loud, uh, etc. There's nothing wrong with being overt. There's nothing wrong with being loud. I note right now that my voice is elevated in decibel, you know, <laughs> from the beginning of, of my, my talking. You know, there's nothing wrong with being loud and excited and and really, really honing in on the 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 good the good news of the salvation of Jesus Christ, right? But we in present day have defined the evangelist as having a lack of the spirit baptism when the scripture itself doesn't depict him that way, okay? We can easily kind of see and imagine pastors and teachers, you know, without a, a supernatural component in their ministry and how they do what they do. Although that's not how the scripture depicts them. But because there's been this de-emphasis of the spirit 
baptism, we kind of forsake the foundational elements in the church. And Ephesians 2, verses 19 through 20, which Brother Malcolm read, those elements are apostles, prophets, and Christ himself, okay? The reason there's this de-emphasis on apostles and prophets because you cannot imagine them without supernatural gifting and power. When you read about the prophets, stuff happened. Fire came out of the sky. Even an axe head will swim to a, a stick put in the water. The dead were raised in the Old Testament by prophets. So you cannot say there is this, this element of being a prophet without the supernatural. With the apostles, with 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 uh, Apostle Paul, he prayed over uh, uh, napkins, uh, or I guess uh, a better, well, certainly aprons and handkerchiefs. Handkerchief is the better word. He prayed over them, and they were sent to other locations, and people would be healed, and demons would come screaming out of them. Uh, Peter walked down the street. And the people who were sick that happened to have his shadow fall over them were immediately healed. So we cannot really imagine or define the apostle and the prophet without the supernatural component. And so in the less effective church that has de-emphasized spirit baptism, you leave those guys out. But what was read to you in two versions of the Bible, from two very different voices, and in, in great diction and lesser diction, <laughs> uh, you saw that there is this time component expertly and wisely inserted into the discourse. So if you want to remove some of these, these ministries that lead to uh, maturing of the church, you were just disobeying the scripture. I paused because I was thinking of, uh, you know, a softer way to say it. But the facts are, you are disobeying what the scripture clearly states. So in conclusion, the foundational elements of the church are dead and living apostles and prophets and a resurrected Christ. Without all of that, the church is going to be less effective. No, that's uh, that's good, and I think I think that's interesting that uh, you, you're pointing that out and explaining that because obviously, yeah, the scriptures are telling us that this is what's necessary for the church to be built up. And as we you know read and discussed in Ephesians four, it's not only exclusively the apostles and prophets, but evangelists, pastors, teachers, all of that. Um, I, I think it's interesting that. It seems, at least, I guess, in current Christendom, those terms, many people don't really know fully what those mean. Yeah. And so, like, the idea of being an apostle or being a prophet, maybe some people don't automatically tie power to them. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just, it's just kind of like a title. Mm -hmm. So, an apostle in some churches could just be you are now the higher level of a bishop. So we have we have bishops and elders, and then the the eldest bishop and elder is now the apostle of the church. Sure. Or of, of this congregation. Uh -huh. And you know, for a prophet, 
doesn't necessarily need to be power, you know, tied to them, but like, oh, they've said some things in the future and it kind of happens or they speak encouraging words to people. And like, that's kind of, that's it. Mm-hmm. And that also could just be a title given to somebody, Sure, you know, there are, <laughs> I guess, uh, certain educational programs that you can go through, graduate and come out an apostle or come out a prophet. And so, <laughs> sorry, I'm not trying to, <laughs> not trying to, you know, uh, bring bad news, but it, it's just interesting that we see that as a foundational element. And then some people would kind of be like, well, yeah, you know, we have apostles, we have prophets, we have, we have many of them actually. Um, so how, how is this, how are we being disobedient? You know, I, I have my certificate that proves that I'm an apostle. <laughs> how, how am I being out of, out of line? Can you, kind of <laughs> speak to that a little bit. A- absolutely. I'll I'll say this. First of all, this whole series that we've engaged, we're going to really uh define what an elder is, what a bishop is, what an apostle is. We're going to define them all using the scripture and using the original word so that no one is left trying to figure it out based on what they perceived uh, from what they've seen and how people have used the words, you know, the scripture defines these things. Okay. Uh, I want to pause just a second because you've gotten me excited with your statements and questions and I've leaned forward and I'm really ready to pounce on every word, but I wanted to make sure that sister Deborah B didn't have something to say or ask that's that's uh, pertinent to what we're discussing. Well, I may tip the scales with my question. I'm not Uh-oh. sure if it's <laughs> for this particular episode, but I wanted to talk about Western doctrine. With this forsaken the church's foundational elements, if the Western doctrine is more formulaic to only teach certain elements within the scripture versus the word of God in its entirety, and also, if Yehoshua joins us together as one body for the dedication of the Most High, how do we become one when we're teaching all these different things? Does it go back to the spirit baptism where we should all be teaching similar things and being led, you know, in a way, or is it okay for one group to? speak on prosperity, another group to speak on deliverance, another group casting out demons, so on and so forth. How do we become one when it feels like we're all on various islands and it feels like we're on this race to be the better church or the better institution Mm. for global recognition? Is that a part of this Western doctrine that I'm asking about? Hopefully I'm clear versus what we spoke on in episode one about the kingdom church, how do we get to this unification, one body for the dedication to the most high? Lord have mercy. (laughs) See, I knew I needed to pause. (laughs) Well, you know, what, what is often the case, we're all, uh, we're all on track and the things that you added sister Deborah B are right in line with what Brother Malcolm was saying and right along with this particular bullet point. Um, I think it was great for the listener or viewer to hear things posed the way that you pose them. 
you spoke of a Western church or some use Eurocentric church or institutional church as as opposed to what the scripture is talking about when it uses the word church is the called out ones, ecclesia, you know, so it has nothing to do with an organization or a viewpoint that is emphasized in one organization over another. <laughs> uh, Father Yah, some call him Jehovah, some call him uh, Yahuwah, Yahweh. That's who I'm talking about. You know, no other names are applicable. You know, some would say every name for every God leads to the same God. Uh-uh. It's, <laughs> it's we're talking about Father Yah here. And he is over the church, the called out ones, as he is the one who called us. Amen. And so the methodology that he has set for the rearing of his own children is the only acceptable methodology. Now, with that said, that doesn't mean that one group of called out people, um, won't be talking about something at a period of time that is different in scope than another group of called out people. But inevitably, all of these uh, points that are being addressed will marry. Amen. There is nothing competitive about the true called out ones. And the way for us to be one as Yehoshua, Yeshua, Jesus, just so when you hear all those words, you know who you're talking, we're talking about, right? Uh, John chapter 17, he prayed that we might be one. And the, the answer to that prayer, the most high already had answered by his methodology and what he, what he, what seed he put in the spirit that fell into the earth and was received by those who would submit to him. And principle to us being one is having this similar foundation. I really, that's really not the best word, this exact same foundation. Um, <laughs> I, I laugh at myself because what comes to mind is something that I wrote years ago. I typically don't use you know, myself and what's going on with me is an example, unless I think that it really stands out as being separate and apart from me. But years ago, I was asked to write um, an article for a publication. The, the the people with the publication felt like I had a, you know, a decent capability of of putting an idea forward. And the first thing that came to mind was the Leaning Tower of Pisa. You know, people spend lots of money to, to fly to, to Florence, Italy, to see this improperly engineered building that leans instead of stands up, standing up at a, a perfect uh, angle, you know, 180 degrees or 90, you know, depending upon what you're using as the, as the, the, the other angle. Okay, straight up and down. But the reason the the tower leans is because of an improper foundation. The ground has a high high, concentration of sand. 
sand as opposed to clay or topsoil or rock moves pretty easily. And so when you put a burden on sand, the thing, the burden is going to move. And so over hundreds of years, uh, engineers have tried to correct the Leaning Tower of Pisa, not by dealing with the foundation, but you can look this up. I'm not just making this up. There have been other levels added to uh, the Leaning Tower of Pisa, and they put a new level on slightly off to the side away from the lean to try to influence the structure to stand up correctly. And so um, if you're using uh, if you're using engineering tools, you will see that the tower almost has like an S bend to it. And I've been told I've not been to Florence, Italy or uh, where that is and looked at it. But I'm told you, you can see that S in the structure just with your naked eyes. But the problem is that they tried to correct a flaw without dealing with the foundation. And so what the Most High did in his mind before anything was to create a, a, a foundation that doesn't slip, that doesn't move, that can be built upon, that can carry the weight, all right? And so the reason there are so many variations of church, the reason that there are so many uh, denominations is because of the forsaking of the foundation of the church to try to bring this to a close and, and, and answer the questions and statements. When you read through the scripture, one thing it says about the apostle, the apostle has been given for to, to enable the obedience to the faith. We'll probably look that up at some point. So I want, so I can, so you can see it in the scripture, but there is a grace on the apostle to lay a perfect plumb line, to lay a perfect foundation. Paul said it this way, be careful how you lay, how you build upon the foundation, because we don't want the church to look like the leaning tower of Pisa. It's got to be perfect. The scripture tells us the church is going to be blemishless. In order for it to be that perfect, the foundation has to be absolutely solid. And so you have these differences uh, in the, the Eurocentric church, the institutional church, the denominational church, because of the forsaking of apostles and prophets and even properly, uh, not properly, fully understanding the the cornerstone himself. Did I address it all? No, yeah. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Elder and Kenji. Appreciate it. I'm I feel like I had another question about that in regards to the foundational element. I guess, okay, the image that comes to mind for me, <clears throat> again, excuse me, with the, the current state of the church, mm -hmm. um, especially when it comes to the Western or Eurocentric church, as um, did that, what that was brought up by Sister Deborah B. Mm -hmm. It makes me think of, um, what's the word? Franchises. 
<laughs> franchises of a business. <laughs> so, you know, you can have any franchise, McDonald's, Subway, whatever. And especially uh, Burger King, have it your way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And when it comes to a franchise, it's, you know, you, you kind of just mimic exactly whatever was set first. Mm -hmm. um, and the way that they work most effectively for those who are either owning the franchise or even or either um, benefiting from the franchise. So the customers and stuff like that, the hope is that everything is going to be exactly the same wherever mm -hmm. you go. So mm -hmm. whether I'm on the East coast or I'm on the West coast, or if I'm in the Midwest, if I go to a McDonald's or if I go to go to a Burger King or anything, it mm -hmm. should be exactly the same. Everything sure. should be exactly the same. Right. And I, I, I find that interesting because I, 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 it really seems like a lot of, whether it's a particular denomination or other places within Christendom, they're hoping to do that. They're hoping to have that same methodology and modeling. Mm -hmm. So when people are called to, or, or called or, or led to do church plants, mm -hmm. they will say, okay, we need to make sure that we look just like whatever this bigger ch church is. We have to follow these exact the building's got to be the same size. We have to have the right colors. We got to sing the same songs and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. it, it just seems interesting because even when we're reading in the New Testament, all of the churches will we'll say specifically um, or will focus on the churches that were addressed by Paul in his letters. Mm -hmm. You have the Corinth church, the, the church of Ephesus, the church mm -hmm. of Galatia. Mm -hmm. They were all different though. Absolutely. And they all had different things that needed to be addressed surely and but yet and still they were still one they were still mm -hmm. in that you know un under the umbrella of what we're looking at these foundation el elements of uh, apostles and prophets and there particularly for those churches paul was you know a, a big part maybe just one of the main apostles for for a lot of those churches yeah and seem so different that have you have this franchise system of no we have to force our way to look exactly the same wherever we are so if you're at a baptist church it needs to look the same wherever you go mm -hmm. pentecostal apostolic whatever all of them mm -hmm. have to look sound do everything the same mm -hmm. but it, it's it, it's like it's it's forcing uniformity rather than unity Mm. And to me, it, it seems like people are more interested in how it looks on the outside rather than, than the internal aspect, the spirit of it. Because you can have a mm. spirit of unity mm -hmm. regardless if, if, I'm, if I'm in Corinth, mm -hmm. we can still have the same spirit. Mm -hmm. Or if I'm in Memphis, Tennessee, we can mm -hmm. have the same spirit. Mm -hmm. But where we are currently it seems like and i mean you can let me know if you if you see this or if you, you think that's the case and even why that may be the case mm -hmm. it seems like franchise is more of what we're going for or what people are going for how, how can we make sure that wherever we go people see this logo or they see <laughs> um the dress and know oh okay i know exactly what i'm going to when i'm going into this church 
mm-hmm. whether it's a seeker friendly church or again like a apostolic church or mm-hmm. this or that it's like oh everything's on brand mm-hmm. but that mm-hmm. seems like the the method of branding doesn't seem scriptural like it's not focusing on oh how, how, how can we actually be lined up with the foundations how can we be lined up with what the most high is saying not oh mm-hmm. this is what's most effective or this is what the traditions say or this is what we need to look like is that part of like the the body being less effective focusing more on franchise and less than i don't want to say faithfulness because <laughs> it seems so drastic but like you know we're focusing on a franchise system more than a faith-based system that's that's very well put you know and it, I'm, I'm sure it was helpful to people to hear you uh set up that context and and i'll certainly address that i thought sister deborah b wanted to uh, add something as well. Is that true? I was going to speak on the franchise portion, but I wanted to read something to back what I, I want to say. But I'll let you go ahead, uh, Elder and Kenji, and explain or answer uh, Brother Malcolm's question first. Okay. Well, I'll be looking for you to come back with what it was you had in mind. But again, the context that you set up, Brother Malcolm, uh, I'm sure people can visualize that. And certainly the issue is not visual apparent sameness. That's not what equates to effectiveness. What equates to effectiveness is to have the same foundation. Now the scripture, um, the scripture makes made it clear that this man Shaul uh, more readily known as Paul, um, one who was persecuting the church. He gathered everybody's coats that, you know, lost their mind and went on to stone and kill uh, um, Deacon Stephen. Okay. Um, you know, he, he gotten letters from the, the temple leadership to go to, to another place and and just haul believers into, into jail. And when you hear Paul or read Paul explaining what he did, he said that he was causing people to blaspheme, meaning really what that means is he's threatening people with 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 uh, persecution, physical or or maybe even death. And so people are changing their testimony to to stay alive. So he, you know, Paul, Paul had a real issue with this church thing. And then on the way to Damascus, um, <laughs> Yehoshua, Yeshua, Jesus appeared to him and spoke to him. And, you know, you can read that in Acts chapter nine, a couple of places. But he then converted from being a Pharisee and just being a a Hebrew, to being a believer, a believer that the Messiah had come and that, um, you know, Father Yah had started to restore Israel, okay? And then he, inevitably, it was God's idea all along that he would be an apostle, okay? And so as, as, you, uh, as, you, as you mentioned, um, Brother Malcolm, that, yeah, 
there there are very clear differences from the churches that he wrote to. And if one doesn't read the scripture and over and over, you know, um, those differences don't become apparent. You know, people tend to just focus on phrases and how they can somehow apply it to their life or use it to get what they want. But when you read this over and over, you start to see a broader picture. Um, Corinth, the scripture talks about, you know, after that called out people was established, uh, there was no limit to all the kinds of supernatural things that happened with them. But at the same time, they did some wicked stuff. You, Ephesians, had, the, the church of Ephesus had a different, uh, you know, emphasis. If you read the first two, three chapters of Revelation, you see these other churches, Philadelphia, Smyrna, and, and it goes on. So just like in any other sphere of life, there are differences in how people behave and what, what befalls them based on the culture they're in. <laughs> okay. You know, I re I'm old enough to remember that if you travel to different parts of the country or world, people absolutely dress different. It's not so much now. You know, you, you can go to the, the southern, the most southern point in the most southern uh, state, and people look like they're from New York City. <laughs> but it didn't used to be that way. It used to be. I remember, I remember in high school going to play a basketball game in in uh, Philadelphia, um, West Philadelphia, indeed. But you know, we won't reference Will Smith. But <laughs> I, when we were on this bus and looking at the people out on the street, it was amazing. Because you didn't see any of those clothes where we were from. Do you know what I mean? But it was indicative of this fact that areas have culture that affect the way they live, that affect their beliefs, that affect their behaviors. And so there are always going to be differences in the way people act. And maybe in other in places not so glued to, to to TV and YouTube, you you actually go somewhere and see people even dress different. But the thing that the Most High knew and knows that He has fashioned every heart alike. I'm quoting a scripture, meaning at the very depth of humanity, we're the same. Now, culture may cause us to lean one way or the other. And so that affects our behavior, but there are these absolute things that are similar about humanity that he made sure would be addressed by the foundation. And the reason that the churches in, in, in Ephesus and Corinth and, uh, you know, pick a name, the reason that they matured and grew was, was not because of trying to make an outward show of similarity. But it was because of the spirit of the living God operating within them, operating within the eldership, operating within the, the apostles and prophets that pulled them away from the influence of their culture where necessary and pulled them toward the nature of God. And so when you see these attempts at uh, 
doing the franchise methodology to make to make a church in a different place functional they're focusing on everything other than the spirit of god and the foundation that has already been set that causes people to repent not just once not just to take on the name christian or believer but to have a life of change changing from the style of man being God over his own life to being a disciple of the Most High, a disciple of Jesus. And so it really boils down to, to in, in conclusion, it really boils down to this idea of are you doing, are, are you trying to mentally achieve, mentally achieve the goals of the living God? or be led by his spirit and use the methodology in the scripture. And obviously, if you do it with your own mind, you fail. You may cause something to, to appear right, but the only thing that really changes people fundamentally is the spirit of the living God and for them to submit to whatever he's telling them to change to. And that comes with a solid foundation. Sister Deborah B., you had... Um something that you wanted to share before Elder Nkinji spoke. Please share. Well, when you mentioned franchise, Brother Malcolm, I thought about the cornerstone again, and, and the definition of the cornerstone is in between two walls. Mm. The cornerstone is solid. That it's, it's will never be faulty because Christ came and did the assignment. And so we know that he will hold together the walls, but the walls can crack because of these franchises. And I'm gonna just read something because Halloween is tomorrow. Uh -oh. <laughs> 146 and counting people dead at a massive mm -hmm. Halloween stampede in South Korea. They weren't even trampled upon. They passed of cardiac arrest. All of this for a high holy day for the wicked. While we're franchising, these things are happening and the foundation has to return back to, you know, the book of Acts, to the letters that Paul wrote, you know, to what Yehoshua designed for the church. If we do not return to those foundational elements, we will have things like this happen. Some people are more afraid of demons than they are of Father Yah. And that's a problem. Mm -hmm. The institution also entertains Halloween. They may glorify it or throw a scripture on it or call it something new, but these things are happening. Harvest because, Fest. Yes, Harvest <laughs> Fest. <laughs> these things are happening. How can something like this, how can we say that we don't need to utilize Ephesians 6 almost every single day, starting with verse 10, when things like this are happening? There was no stampede, physical stampede, but these people fell out and died. So how do we get to the point, back to my original question and, and just piggybacking off of what Brother Malcolm said, we need to get away from franchise and just be one, one unit. Amen, amen, amen. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, sorry, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Elder and Kendi. I'll, I'll be very brief. When you have the right oversight, the oversight will take you to the scripture. And the scripture tells us very plainly, do not 
take on the ways of the heathen. All right. And we take on things for the purpose of fun. We take on things in the purpose of merriment. We take on things that allow for the demonic to, to, to act in the ways that it would like to. And, you know, if we, if we really want to follow Father Yah, if we really want to follow Jesus, then we have to obey what the scriptures say. And if you have a solid foundation, part of, part of a solid foundation is that these men will tell you the truth, whether you like it or not. If you have a solid foundation, you have the opportunity not to suffer those kinds of consequences. No, that's that's good. And I mean, that's a very unfortunate um, yes. situation that that occurred. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really sad. Mm -hmm. um, but I think uh, Sister Deborah B, I think you made a really good point in the vision, like the imagery of the cornerstone and how the cornerstone doesn't change. It is solid. It's fixed. But the walls can then, you know, I, I don't know if you, you guys have ever seen, like, you can be in a building and you would expect the wall to be smooth, mm -hmm. you know, but then it has like these waves and, and bumps in it. Mm -hmm. um, similar to what the example that you gave, Elder and Kenji, with a leaning tower of pizza. Like, it's, although the foundation itself is off, now there is this attempt to try to maneuver and a way to fix it, you know, mm -hmm. and that creates mm -hmm. this S, this serpentine kind of situation. And it does, it does require us to stay focused on, okay, we have to keep looking back at the cornerstone instead of trying to look forward at whatever vision or understanding or goal we're trying to accomplish, always making sure that we're looking back and checking, like, are we in a line? Are we following the right steps, you know, and hopefully, uh, I can't remember the scripture off the top of my head, but I, I, if I'm not mistaken, Paul has talked about, you know, he, he mentions that in some of his verses, like you, you need to, in some of his letters, like make sure you're focusing on people who are faithfully following mm -hmm. Yeshua or following mm -hmm. Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Like make sure you're looking at these people who are always looking back or looking towards the most high, yeah. because if you're not, then you will start to have those waves. You will start to have that shift. You'll start to, get out of alignment that's more reason why we have to continue to have these conversations Absolutely. you know to do our best to get in order to get in alignment with how the king wants the kingdom to be built amen and that requires effort and that requires us to ha to have humility too because yes. you know sometimes people just want to do th do things the way they want to do you know you you mentioned halloween or it could be anything, you know, any other traditions or holidays or things that we do for fun or whatever, but rarely questioning, is this in alignment with the cornerstone? Is this in alignment with the one who is the author and finisher of everything? Is it in alignment with the one who actually is creating the whole building? Mm -hmm. Or are we just doing stuff because we just want to do it? Um, but thank you. Thank you again, Elder and Kenji and Sister Deborah B for another great episode. Um, here on Kingdom Order Principles. We are going to continue this discussion. As you see, we are on point two, <laughs> which is, we just wrapped up point two. So, you know, we still have a lot, a lot to discuss, but we hope that you all are enjoying the discussion. 
Um, please, if you're watching on YouTube, like, share, and subscribe. Hit the notifications so that you can um, be updated the next time an episode comes out. And if you're listening on your favorite podcast, uh, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, uh, five stars, all that stuff. Um, we really appreciate it. And we really hope that you all are getting a lot out of this. Um, until next time, be safe, be blessed, and we will see you guys in the next episode. See ya. Amen.